Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Karstensen continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. Deuteronomy is a set of farewell speeches from Moses, begging the Israelites to follow the Lord. If they choose life, they will do well. If they choose their own path, they will reap their unfortunate rewards. However, God knew they would fail, which begs the question, why did God create a people he knew would fail? Moses answers this critical question at the end of the book. After the message, read the book of Deuteronomy. Also, check out nwhills.com hub, H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. Our theme for the year, a theme that we've been going at since September, is this little phrase up here, what is going on? And it's a phrase that kind of gets after the larger question of how did we get here to this moment? You know, and it's one that's broad kind of culturally. It's one that we're talking about spiritually. You know, it's something that happens practically often. I remember like last night, I'm at the dinner table and I won't tell you exactly what happened, but there's multiple moments during dinner where you're just like, what is going on? Why are my children doing whatever my children do? Um, And then really the broader question of how do we go on? How do we move forward? And so today we're going to ask a question about what is going on, really around a theological question, a, a question about who God is, his nature and character. And it's a question that I had from a pretty early age, I think probably early high school, I started first asking this question. And I don't think I really wrapped my brain around it for a number of years until I could clearly say, yeah, I, I, th- here's the answer to this question. So I was raised in a home that loved Jesus, which is awesome. My parents loved the Lord, and they loved church, and the two go hand in hand. You cannot say, I love Jesus and not love his church, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this. It's like saying you love me, but not my wife and kids. Like, we're a package deal. Jesus and the church are a package. So my family loved both, and um, so I was exposed early on to what following Jesus and being a part of his church looked like. And again, in early high school, I started wrestling with this question, And I'm guessing some of you have asked yourselves this question before as well. And we're going to see in Deuteronomy, he addresses this question. And ultimately, that is this. Why did God create everything? All things that were good. You know, God creates this garden. He creates Adam and Eve. Ultimately, knowing that it would all fall apart. Why did he do that? Right? And you can expand that question to things beyond just the garden, beyond just Adam and Eve. Why did God create Satan? You think about that, and you're like, okay, he's some glorious angel, and, and then he rebelled and took a third of the angels with him, and now they're in some like, you know, cosmic spiritual battle for eons. Like, why would God do that? You ever have that question? You ever wondered why would God create knowing that it would all fall apart? Because we believe that God knows everything. Right? God knows what I'm going to do this afternoon. God knows what I'll do tomorrow. He knows what I would do in any situation, anywhere, in any possible world. Right? Like If I were born in the Middle East somewhere, God knows what I would do next week in some hypothetical world because he knows everything. So why would God create a world and say, hey, it's all good and it's beautiful and it's right, knowing that very quickly it would all become unraveled? Why would he do that? It it seems like that's not fair. It doesn't seem right. It seems strange. And I'll tell you what, early on, the answer was always, oh, free will. 
And that's a cheap answer, right? It really is a cheap answer because the cheapness of it says, well, you know, if we couldn't really love God unless we had free will because then we'd all just be robots. And, you know, part of that is true. Free will does have something to do with it. But the Bible also teaches that God is sovereign. That, Like, yes, I have real choices that I need to make with my life. Those are real, autonomous, independent choices. But God is sovereign, right? Like, I didn't get to choose what family I'm in. I didn't get to choose where I was born. I didn't get to choose a million things in life. And God is working and moving all things together for good who, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So how do we reconcile those in this broader question of why did God create knowing that it would all fall apart? The book of Deuteronomy is going to get after this, and we're going to have to dig a little bit to find both the question and the answer, but I believe it is probably the primary, big picture, beautiful piece that God is going to speak to in this book. And so to get after it, let's go to the very end, the last book, or the last chapter in Deuteronomy, and we're going to see this is uh, Moses' final book that he writes. He wrote the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, If you are new with us, we are doing a book a week this entire year, which I recognize is a brutal pace. It's fast, but it's also really sweet and it's good. And, you know, a lot of us are on different reading plans. There's A plan, B plan, C plan. The D plan is you show up and you hear me speak, right? So some of you are on that. The F is if you just don't show up to anything and you don't hear anything. So, you know, there's grace in all of this, but I would encourage you be ready for Deuteronomy this week. But let's stand, let's honor God's word. Uh, If you have got a Bible that's in the seat in front of you, I think someone told me first hour, it's on page 177. And we're going to read the last words of Moses. And I'll give you a hint. He didn't write all of Deuteronomy. And you'll figure out why here in a minute. You can't write about your death. So let's go Deuteronomy 34, starting in verse 1. When I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And we will say, thanks be to God. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebu to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. Right? So we're going to keep reading here, but this is the land that God has promised Abraham. So for 500 years through slavery, God's saying, I'm going to take you here. Moses is looking out. This this land is, is right in front of them. And then God says this. He says, I have let you see it with your eyes. But you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. So this is this scene that we're going to talk about frequently today. But here is Moses. He is overlooking the Jordan River. Finally, all this two million some odd people are waiting to go into the promised land. And God says, hey, there it is. 
This is what I've promised everyone. I'm going to give this to you. I will uphold my promise, but you're not going in, Moses. Which to me, I, I read that and I hear the story and I just feel like that feels so unfair. Like think about all the things that Moses did and all that he went through. Right, like Moses, he's the guy who brought the people out of slavery. He's the guy who put up with all of their complaining, all of the wandering, all of the, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. Life would be better back in Egypt. He had to put up with all of that. He has to wander in the desert for 40 years. And then he's on the edge and God says, you're not going in. You're going to die here. There's a part of me that says, Man, that feels really unfair. That doesn't seem right. God, you knew that he would fail. Why would you allow that to happen? Why couldn't he just live this great life and you say, okay, let's go. Let's, let's go to the promised land. Like, you've done so many good things. Why didn't that happen? Why didn't God allow that to happen? Why does Moses fail? And then even broader than Moses failing, we're going to see that this entire nation of Israel, they're going to fail and God knows it. He knows that they are going to fail. And so as we're going to look at the story today, going through the end of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we're going to see that God knew exactly what would happen, but he's got a plan through all of this, right? He's got a plan through you and I, right? Because he knows that we're just like Adam. He knows we're just like Moses. He knows that we have a proclivity in our heart to chase the things that we want and ultimately to live the life that we want. And when we do that, right? We bring death, right? When I don't love like I ought to, right? When I'm not caring for people like I ought to, when I'm not obeying God, like we bring death. We bring death of friendship, right? We bring death of trust. We bring death of peace. And ultimately, we're going to see how God has something to say about all of this as he knew what would happen to you and I. So let's follow the story here just a minute to this moment that Moses gets to when God says, no, you're not going in. So you go early Exodus and God frees this people and he takes them into the wilderness, which is significant, right? You would think that maybe after 400 years, God might just immediately take them somewhere nice. Like it seems like that would be the nice thing to do. But God says, nope, I'm going to take you to the wilderness. And we talked about the wilderness and what it is and how the wilderness is this moment and this place where God takes everything away from us. And he says, all these things that are comfortable to you, all these things that you long for, I'm going to strip it all away. Right? So that might be your family, that might be your friends, right? That might be your health, that might be your job, that might be your influence, whatever it may be. God's stripping it all away and He's saying, Am I enough? Is the thing that your heart longs for, is it me or is it all these other things? And so we see this throughout the wilderness again and again. God's going to say, Do you trust me? Do you want me or do you want all these other things? And that's what he's doing through the wilderness. And then through the wilderness, we get to this moment where um, they're at the base of Mount Sinai. And for a long time, God's meeting with Moses back and forth. And he's establishing to this people group, this is what it looks like to be my people. Right? And so we talk about how God gives Moses the law. And there's all different types of law. We talk about ceremonial law and um, civic law and religious law. And God's giving them all these things, which is brutal and hard and extremely boring to read. Can I get an amen for anyone who was through those books the last couple weeks? Right? And, and it's strange. And, and we've talked the last couple weeks about what those laws were about. But at the end of it, at the end of the book of Leviticus, and this was in my notes for my Leviticus sermon, but I didn't have time. So I literally cut it out while up here. 
He gives at the very, the second to last chapter, after giving all these laws about how to follow me, he says this about what life will look like if you choose to follow me and what life will look like if you choose to disobey me. So if you got a Bible, let's go Leviticus 26. And today is pretty text heavy, so I'm going to do my best to kind of read in a way that kind of puts ourselves to there. But I would encourage you to follow along in a Bible in front of you. And if you don't have one, there should be one near you. So let's look at what God has to say about what would happen if they followed him and what would happen if they chose not to. Let's go Leviticus 26, starting in verse 3. He says, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of the sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and will confirm my covenant with you. Verse 11, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and you and will be your God and you shall be my people. So for 10 verses at the end of Leviticus, he says, hey, this is what life looks like if you obey me, if you follow me, things are going to go really, really well. Now, I know we live in a different time, right? We're not under the same conditional promise But the same principle is generally true. If we live how God calls us to live, right, life will go better for us. Like if you are a wildly generous, loving, compassionate person, you will have far more friends, right? Life goes better for us if we follow the Lord's call on our life to obey him and follow him. But if we don't, right, he goes on for 25 verses, two and a half times as long. He says, if you don't follow me, Life is going to be absolutely brutal for you. And we pick it up in verse 14. I'm just going to read four of those, not 25. He says, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. He says, I will visit you with panic with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemy shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursue you. Imagine being in that spot where you're feeling like, I need to run and no one's even chasing you. God's saying to his people, follow me. Life will go so much better. If you don't, it's going to be a long, lonely, brutal road. And then he gives a little bit of a hint to how he's going to work through this all. He says, but if you don't obey me, I'm a gracious God. I'm a kind God. We pick this up in verse 40. 
He says, but if they confess their iniquity, if they are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, in other words, if you say, God, I am sorry, I have done what I ought not to do, I will remember my covenant and I will not spurn them. Right? He gives them a way out. So again, you follow me, you bring heaven to earth. Right? You disobey me, you bring hell to earth. You bring hell to your family. You bring hell to your workplace. But if you do, come back, repent, confess, and I will not forget. And the story continues, and at the end of Numbers, or the, the middle of Numbers, they're moving and they get to this promised land. And God says, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you this place. I told your people before you that I will give this to you. I am your God. And he sent, they send out 12 spies to go check out this land that God says, I'm going to give this to you. And 10 of them come back. And of the, or 12 of them come back. But 10 of them say, you know what? I don't know if God can do what he says he's going to do. I don't know if God is for me. I don't know if God is capable. When I think about my life, I don't know that God can intervene in my life. He will not be able to do what he's promised. And this devastates the Lord. And he says, because you did not believe that my hand was for you for 40 years, you're going to turn back around and you are literally going to wander in the desert. And so last week, as Pastor Gary was giving us this sermon, we talked about they left the Jordan, they left going into the promised land, and for 40 years, they're heading back towards Egypt. Now, they don't make it to Egypt, but they're wandering all around for 40 years, waiting for everyone to die. So let me zoom out just a minute and remember how we got here. Exodus chapter 1 is 400 years long, right? You've got slavery, you've got just terrible conditions for this people of God. In Exodus chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, we have the first 80 years of Moses' life in one chapter. It's really quick. It's like Moses was born. They threw him in a basket. They chucked him down the river. He rose up in the king's house. He killed someone. He ran away. He was waiting to die, right? That's 80 years in one chapter. And then follow me. Exodus chapter 3, all the way through Numbers, all the way through Leviticus, all the way to this point, um, is one year in Moses' life. So we really don't know a whole lot about Moses, which is interesting. We know a whole lot about one year of his life. We have one chapter for 80 years of his life, but then for 40 years, he's wandering the desert, and we really don't hear a whole lot about what's going on with this people group, in particular with Moses. But we get one scene as they're leaving this moment where God says, I was going to provide for you, but you didn't believe me. We get one scene, and in this scene, we see Moses' failure. So they're leaving this land, waiting to wander around for 40 years, and Moses' sister dies. This is Miriam. This is the woman who placed him in the basket. you got to believe she held that over him for years, right? Like, remember the time I saved you? You were a baby. <laughs> she dies. you got to believe this is heavy. Not only that, but the people are insanely discouraged. They're distraught. Some of them are beaten, literally. There's some people who, when God says, no, you're going to go wander for 40 years, they say, no, we're not. We think that we can take these guys, and they try, and they're, they're demolished. And so you've got just this hurting, wandering, discouraged group of people heading back into the wilderness with nowhere, literally nowhere to go. And sure enough, a few days in, they run out of water. And it's this scene again. It's this repeated story that we see again and again. They run out of water, and everyone starts accusing Moses again. Right? Moses, how dare you brought us up out of Egypt? Right? You say you're going to take us somewhere great. We're not going there. We're wandering around forever. Curse you and curse your God. 
And Moses cries out to God. He's like, God, would you provide water? We have no water. We are in the desert. And God says this. He says, speak to the rock. And there's all kinds of New Testament implications for what that rock is and how it's Jesus. I'm not going to preach on that today. Maybe we'll come back to that at some point. But he says, speak to it and it will bring forth water. And Moses, in I have to believe his anger, perhaps his distrust, he doesn't speak to the rock. He hits the rock. And water comes out in God's mercy, but God says to him, in chapter 20, verse 12, he says, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Like, that's it? Like, all he did was hit this rock, perhaps out of anger, and God's going to say, and now you're going to take this whole group of people, you're going to go to the edge of the river, you're going to look to the other side, this whole nation's going to go, and you're going to die right there, and you're not going to go in. Like, that doesn't seem super fair, I'm just saying. And God knew it would happen. Not only that, but as we're going to see in this book of Deuteronomy that we haven't even opened yet, which I'm supposed to be preaching on, we'll get there. God knows that this whole nation of Israel going into the promised land is going to epically fail. He knows it. He predicts it. He says it. And so what we have here in the book of Deuteronomy is we have Moses after those 40 years of wandering all around. Moses brings the people to the edge of this promised land. And as he's at the edge, he has three sermons, these kind of like farewell speeches. They're beautiful. In some of it, he's repeating the law because he's saying, hey, 40 years ago, I gave this to you. That's a long time ago. I want to repeat this so you'll remember, so you will not forget. And perpetually, he says again and again and again, do not forget who the Lord is. You're about to go be your own people in a new land, and things are going to go really well for you. Don't forget Don't forget to obey me. Don't forget to follow me. Don't forget not to chase after things that you ought not to. And so we're going to see this repeated theme as you read this next week. This is how life will go if you follow me. And if you do not, it's not going to go well. We pick it up in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. Yes, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, this is Moses speaking. This is his farewell speech. He's about to die. They're overlooking the new land that God's going to give them. He says, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you. Right? And he reminds him of his failure then. Look at this in verse 21. He says, I failed before the Lord. He won't let me go. And listen to this. This is interesting. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, for I must die in this land. I must not go over to the Jordan. He says, but you shall go. You're going to go. Take possession of that good land. Verse 23, take care lest you forget the covenant that the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. See, the temptation again and again, not only is it when we have nothing 
to run away from the Lord, but when we have everything to run away from the Lord. Right? Because they're about to get everything. They're about to get all the land. Their, their jobs are going to go really well. Their relationships are going to go well. They're not going to have external enemies. Things are going to go really well for them. And it's really easy when life's going really well, once again, to say, yeah, thanks, Lord. I, I think I've done this for myself. Uh, you'll be a nice side project, but I'm going to kind of do my own thing over here because life's going really well. He reminds them again and again when life goes well, because it's about to get really sweet for you, do not forget the Lord. And then he gives multiple warnings, and I'm just going to read one of them. These warnings are brutal. Fast forward to chapter 28. I think that this has so much to say, not only in this day, because clearly that's what it was for, but I think there's ringings of it true in our culture of what happens when we say no to a God who loves us. Listen to the state of humanity when they say no. Chapter 28, starting in verse 64. This is a devastating chapter. It's, it's a tearful one you'll read this week. It says, The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, Right? You can replace that for whatever you want, your job, your family, your kids, vacation, your health, whatever idol you want to put in there, which neither you nor your fathers knew. Verse 65, and among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. He's saying, your soul will not be at rest. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Listen to this next line. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel in the sight that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back to ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And listen to this, he says, and there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyers. Dude, that is brutal. He's saying, you will have so much angst in your soul, you will want someone to take care of you. And when you're saying, someone please take care of me as a slave in this context, he's saying, there's not even someone who will buy you. No one's going to pay attention. He's saying, I'm begging you, follow the Lord as you're going to go into this new land over and over and over he reminds them two chapters later in chapter 30 he makes it super clear he says you guys have a choice he says we all have a choice chapter 30 is one of these brave heart type moments it's insanely powerful these moments where he says hey i'm laying before you today life and death obedience and disobedience, you have to choose. Chapter 30, verse 19, if you're an underliner in your Bible, 
Go ahead and underline it. If it's a church Bible, go for it. Full send. He says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. He's saying, make a choice. Everyone has a choice today. It's a real choice. It's not a fake choice. This isn't God just saying, you're going to follow me, but um, you, you have no ability. He's like, no, this is a real choice. Choose life. Choose obedience. Follow the Lord. Make Him God of your life. And then this is, this is where it all begins to fall apart. In chapter 31, God's speaking to Moses and He says, hey, you're about to die. He says, I want you to commission Joshua. I want you to commission the next leader who's going to go, who's going to take the people. He was not afraid. When he went into the land, he and Caleb said, I believe that God can do what he said he would do. And he will lead the people. So commission him. And this is what's about to happen. And listen to what God says to Moses in chapter 31, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers. This is where it becomes so tragic. Then this people will rise And they will whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they were entering. And they will forsake me. And they will break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. Jump into 21. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give them. And then at the end of chapter 31, he says something super interesting. He says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to write out a song, and I want you to write this song in such a way that's going to describe what's about to happen. This song is going to say, God freed us to this land. He brought us to this place. He created us a people. He created us a culture, and you rebelled. But then I did something about it. And he writes this song. So as you read this next week, chapter 32 is this song that God commands Moses to write, that the people were to memorize, that they were to sing for generations to come, that you and I are reading today. And listen to what he says in this song about their future failure that God knew would happen. Verse 32, chapter 15. But Jeshurun, right? That's a sarcastic name for Israel. You grew fat and you kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he, in other words, you got everything. Right? You got the house, you got the girl, you got the land, you got the job, you got everything you wanted. And then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the God of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy. In other words, they stirred God to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods that they had never known, to new gods that had recently come, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. He's saying, you did not honor me. You did not follow me. You did not obey me. And you forgot, verse 18, you forgot the God who gave you birth. Israel, you failed. And I knew you were going to fail. I knew it was going to happen. Right? And it did, and we're going to discover this in the next few months, and it was an epic failure. Right, Out of the 12 tribes, 10 of them go into oblivion. They're just gone forever. Right? Under Assyria, two of them get captured under Babylonian captivity, and 
all the things that God says are going to happen, happen, and we will see this in the next few months. And the big question is why? Right? I started this sermon out with that question, why? Why would God allow this to happen? We're going to see our answer starting in verse 32. Starting in verse 36, rather, chapter 32. For the Lord, this is still part of the song, this is the remedy, for the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees that their power is gone and there is nothing remaining bond or free. Then He will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge. In other words, they chased all kinds of things. They thought that if I follow this God of whatever it may be, and we all have them, right? This God of, oh man, if I could just be wealthy enough to be entertained for my life, that would be awesome, right? This God of, if I just get the right job and I can have influence, that would be great, right? This job of, if I just had friends or if I just had a spouse or if I just had whatever it is, the things that we're chasing that we think would make good, God's ultimately, he's saying, those will all fail you. And when we get to that point, verse 37, then you and I, then the nation of Israel will say, where are their gods? Or God will say this, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. But here's the thing. Those things are terrible protection. Not all the gods that we chase, they're terrible gods. Right? Pride is a terrible god. Right? Uh, Your family is a terrible god. Your great retirement is a horrible god. Right? Even your friends, while they're awesome, hopefully are terrible gods. Even your spouse is a terrible God. Ultimately, he says, I'm going to let this nation have whatever they think their heart wants. And when they get that thing that their heart wants, they will discover their terrible gods. And ultimately then, they will see what he's going to preach in verse 39. See now. Once you see it all, once you get what you want, see now that I... Even I am He, and there is no God beside me. So why did God create, in Genesis chapter 1, knowing that we would fail? Ultimately, in the end, to say that there is no God beside Him. He let us fail, ultimately, as an avenue to bring the cross to us, to say, You're all going to fail, and you can't do it on your own, and you need a rescue that you're incapable of outside of me. And so in the early Genesis, when God's creating, he's creating with the cross in mind, saying, in the cross, you get the full display of my love for you in your free will decision to rebel against me in my display of mercy and grace that the world has never seen. Right? Because we see a God who is unparalleled, who does what no one else does when he says, you rebelled against me and I loved you anyways. And there's only one who's able to do that. And there's not a single person who even comes close, not even Moses. And I think this is so important. At the very end of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, there's a little snippet that talks about how great Moses was. Let's go to verse 10 real quick, and I'll wrap this up here in a second. 34 verse 10, listen to how great Moses was. This is as he's dying. 
and there was not uh, arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all this, all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. There was no one better than Moses, but not even Moses could follow God right. He had to stay back. But then there is one who is better than Moses, who obeyed God, who was God, and who gave his life for us. And that is Jesus. There's only one. So I think it's beautiful how God does this with the whole, but then he breaks it down to the individual too. And he breaks it down to you and I and says, are we going to choose life today? And he knows there'll be seasons when we don't. And when we don't, we need one remedy, and that is to see, verse 39, to see that I... Even I am he, and there is no God beside me. Let's finish it up here. I'm going to pray, and let's close our eyes here, and I'm just going to walk us through something here. Ben, why don't you come on up? Um, God, I, I thank you for this call of Moses to this people in chapter 30, where he's overlooking this, this land that you've promised for 500 years, and he's saying, guys, God's going to give this to us. And I, I'm going to lay before you what life looks like when you obey him, and I'm going to lay before you what life looks like when you disobey him. And he's going to say, choose life. Choose life today. And so, God, for us, like we, we have a choice. We have a real choice, Lord. Let us not chase the things that are not you. God, let us hold on to the things that matter most. And then let us remember those words from chapter 4. In Deuteronomy 4, right after, right after you say, hey, if you don't obey me, things are going to go really, really poorly. But then you give, you give an out at the end and you say, but if you come back to me, and if you seek me with your whole heart, and a whole host of Old Testament people are going to quote this. Jeremiah is going to say it in chapter 31. He's going to say, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me and I will be your God and you will be my people. So God, if we're here this morning and we haven't loved you like we ought to, and even if we have, Lord, Lord, help us to come before you and seek you with our whole heart, that you will be our God, that we will recognize that there is no one like you. So Lord, why did you create knowing we would fail? Lord, because in our failure, you are glorious. Because you paid for my failure with yourself. And through that grace, we have seen a God that is like no other. God, we sit in that today. And we thank you and we love you, Jesus. And we pray this all in your beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.